Well, hello, Exchange. Welcome to church. I'm so glad that you decided to join us today. Really is a privilege and an honor. Uh, for us, that you would take the time during the week, uh, especially in this current season, obviously, to do church in an unconventional way. Um, but hey, I think most of us are fine with sitting down and going through a whole series on Netflix or Amazon Prime and, and have no qualm with that. You know, why can't we do church like this uh, for a season? But just in case you want to gather um, in, a, in a watch party or whatsoever and your health allows, then we encourage you to do that because it's just different when you watch with a group of people, it's really quite special. You can hear people engaging the worship times, you know, two or three are gathered in his name. It's just, it's just, there's something different about it. Not to discount if you're by yourself right now. Uh, we'd love to say again, welcome. And I really believe we've got a God word. December 6th is our next uh, in-person worship uh, church service event where we've been meeting up in the hills of Lafayette. You do have to register for that. And so, like I said before, uh, I encourage you, if it's not full already, is to register straight away as soon as you get that email because it fills up quite quick. So, and it's quite special. It's a quite a special moment. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. Well, I heard a story this week of a burglar that broke into a house. It was late at night, and he had his uh, his spotlight, his little uh, torch, and so he went into the house and he's looking around for valuables. And he, he, in the darkness, he, he hears a voice say, Jesus is watching you. But he looks around and he's startled and he's not sure whether he really heard that in his head or not. And so he kind of dis dismisses it, thinks it's not real, continues on uh, trying to find valuables. And anyway, he's halfway through unplugging the stereo and all the wires at the back. And, and then he hears again, Jesus is watching you. This time it was distinct. There's clearly someone in the room and so he shines his spotlight around, tries to find and he lands on a parrot. There's a parrot there. He says, hey, did you say that? He said, yeah, I'm trying to warn you. Jesus is watching you. He goes, oh man, I don't feel guilty. You can't put that on me. He goes, who are you to tell me uh, that Jesus is watching me? And he says, he goes, hi, I'm Moses. And I'm just trying to warn you, Jesus is watching you. And so uh, the, the burglar kind of says, Moses, and has a chuckle to himself. What kind of crazy owners would name their parrot, their pet parrot Moses? The parrot says, the same kind of crazy owners that named their rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> I hope you enjoy that. I'll just give you a moment more to laugh because I'm not hearing anything in here. Well, I'm excited for the word today. I believe that God's given me a word for exchange, believe uh, and trust that we would open up our hearts and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. If you're hearing us for the first time, welcome. And we just want to encourage you. It's not necessarily always about the person who's communicating the word. It's also the Holy Spirit who's partnering and revealing his word. Holy Spirit does and will and can and still wants to speak to every person today. And so encourage us to always open up our heart and be listening, tuning in to the frequency of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to say to us today. I talked a few weeks ago about our identity and the conversation was around the thought that we don't have the burden or the responsibility of defining our own identity in terms of who we are. I believe that that responsibility and that weight and that burden has already been done by God. God knew you 
in your mother's womb. He knit you together. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And for some of us, he knows how many hairs are on your back. He knows exactly who you are. He created you. You've been created by God and therefore your identity has been uh, has been established by God. And therefore, there, it is my respons- responsibility to discover my identity. Now, I believe there are three things. There may be more, but here are three things that God spoke to me that God has already defined for us. The first one is identity, as just explained. The second one is righteousness. And a simple definition of righteousness is being right before God. What it means to be right before God. Righteousness has been defined by God, not me. I don't get to declare what is right before him and what is not right before him. The next one is sin. And sin, a biblical definition, basically means is missing the mark of God's perfect standard, missing the mark. Sin is not defined by me. It is defined by God. I don't get to say because of how I feel, because of where I grew up, because of my environment, because of the people I know, the experiences that I've had or whatever I've gone through in my life, what is sin? Sin is defined by God and God alone. God defines our identity and so therefore we discover our identity in him. But what happens? What happens when we tell God who we are instead of God declaring who we are? What happens when we try to tell God who we are instead of allowing God to declare who we are? Well, that would to be, to me, that would be like going to Ikea and purchasing the most complicated of most complicated uh, pieces of furniture that they have uh, that comes with seven boxes that has no instructions, that has no diagrams, that has no pictures, except for maybe one picture of Liam Nilsson's face from the movie taken and the words below that say, good luck. It would be a catastrophe. It would be an absolute catastrophe for me to try to define who I am. In fact, every time I buy something from Ikea, I always have a bunch of stuff that's left over. I don't know if that's you and me, but I I always seem to have a bunch of things that are left over. And I wonder what that would be like even with God and me trying to define who I am to God. That would be like having a bunch of things that I miss out on, a bunch of uh, under, my purpose, my meaning, uh, my giftings and talents and all of this stuff that God has for me because I'm trying to define me to God instead of allowing God to define me. In fact, what it would do, it would put God in a box and it would force me to live by fact instead of living by faith. That's what it would force me to do because now I've got to try to work this all this whole thing out based on myself. But when we, by faith, trust that he has established our identity, then by faith we move forward as he reveals our true nature in Christ, which is good news. That means that that burden, responsibility is not on my shoulders. I get to discover who I am because of who he is. Sometimes we attempt to define ourselves by embracing false labels, Uh, in order to fit in or we end up living or believing a lie. And I see this all the time. People uh, adapt and adopt uh, these different labels that become layers that form an identity, a false identity. And it's usually more cases than not built on a platform or a foundation of fear, uh, 
insecurity, frustration, anger. I've often heard people say things like, you know what, I just got tired of feeling guilty. I got frustrated with people and I, this, is, this is it. This is who I am. You just have to accept and embrace who I am. Well, I'm here to say, who gets to decide who you are? Not you. God defines who you are. It's an endless pursuit of him, of discovering who we truly are in him. But it doesn't just stop there. I think instead of not just defining our identity, we also try to define or redefine righteousness. We also try to redefine sin. And that's where it gets crazy. And that's where it gets really complicated. And that's where the world gets messy because we try to do what God has already done. So let's unpack what true righteousness is and what a true definition of sin is from a source of truth. But to do that, I'm going to have to go up to a big picture level. We're not going to get in amongst the weeds here. We're going to have a look at the 300-foot um, uh, view. It's kind of it's the difference between, I guess, being a, a, a player on a team in a sport on the field in a position versus being the coach. Let's take the coach's look at, at this. And this may seem a little obscure that I'm coming uh, from a blind side here, but this will all tie in and make sense. A survey was done. 1,871 people who described themselves as a Christian, self-described, uh, were asked about Satan and the devil. 40% strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. In other words, he doesn't exist. Uh, 40% of the 1,871. You know, there are some things that you need to know about the devil. Number one, he's real. He's not a figment. He's not, he's not some uh, illustration in the Bible or some abstract illustration or some symbolism. He's very real. He was, uh, second thing you need to know, well, a bunch of things that you need to know. He, unlike how he is portrayed in Hollywood, he is not this big horned um, red cave pitchfork. The Bible actually says that he was one of God's most beautiful creations. Uh, so think more good looking. Think Chris Hemsworth or Brad Pitt, or Pastor Mark. Um, he was so beautiful that his own beauty deceived him and he wanted to be worshipped because he believed in his own beauty. His beauty became his corruption. It became his own selfish desire. You need to know that he was kicked out of heaven and he was sent to earth. And then the Bible says in Revelation 5.11 that he brought a third of the angels with him. Now, you need to know this about the devil. He hates what God loves. The devil hates what God loves. And God loves you. He loves you. The first thing that the enemy did when he was kicked out of heaven and God sent him to earth, he was kicked out of heaven. He went into the Garden of Eden and he deceived Adam and Eve and then they were kicked out of the garden. He hates what God loves and God loves you. The enemy hates what God loves. And how does he do that? He deceived. How did he do that? How did he deceive? This is what happened. Genesis 3, 5 says, For God knows that in the day, and this is uh, basically what has happened here, Satan has been talking to, Adam, uh, to Eve and he's tricking her and, and trying to basically say God's a liar and he, that this 
eating this uh, uh, fruit here is going to give you, it's going to make you like him. So it says, for, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, uh, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't that really interesting right there? That it says that you will be like God and you will know the difference between good and evil. Or shall I say, righteousness and sin. Righteousness and sin. If I was the enemy and I hated what God loved, I would have one goal. I would want to separate people slowly uh, from, from God. I want to dislocate them from God's purpose, his promises and his plan. That's what I would do if I was the enemy. If I was the enemy and I wanted to separate people from God, I would slowly but surely over time, I would change the definitions of righteousness and sin. Now we're tied back in again. Righteousness and sin. And this is the enemy's plan is over time to change the definition of righteousness and to change the definition of sin. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's not bad for a, a book that was written thousands of years ago. The wisdom right there that we know what's happening in our world today is so many things are being redefined by the world. So many things have been turned upside down. What was once considered sin is now considered good. What was once unrighteous is now righteous. How things have flipped and people believe it. They believe it partly because that's all they've ever heard. And maybe it was the first thing that they heard and it's sunk in, it's part of the culture and now we just believe it, we accept it. Why? Because we understand it, it's comfortable and it's safe. But is it true? Is it true righteousness? Was that real sin or was it not? What is sin? Who gets to define that? Do I get to define it? Meaning that I wanna say I'm God because the moment I start trying to define my identity, the moment I start trying to define righteousness and sin, I'm declaring myself a demigod. I am my own God. And when that Satan did that, he was kicked out of heaven. I would convince people, if I was Satan, that man's law instead of God's law defines righteousness. Now I want you to catch that, it's really important. I would wanna convince people, if I was a devil, that man's law instead of God's law is what defines righteousness. In other words, instead of looking to the perfect standard that God has in the Torah, the perfect law of God, what it means to be right before him, I would get men to stop looking at that and start looking at the law of man. Now, I'm not saying that the law of man is bad, but I'm saying it's incomplete. Uh, I would convince people that uh, laws of man that were written by man are how you define someone as good or a bad person. In other words, man decides what's good, not God. That's what I would do. That's what I would do to convince people. Man tries to make these laws, man attempts. But let me read you right now some laws that man have written. And this is in America. These are laws over time. I'm not sure of all of these are still active laws today. In fact, they, I think most of them probably are because how often do they do away with a law, correct? And so 
Here are state by state, not every state, but a, here's a bunch of them that are actual laws today made by man. And this is what I would do if I was heading. I'll get man to, I'll get man to look at man's laws to define what's good and who's good and what's righteous and what's unrighteous. Kansas right now, in Kansas, hitting a vending machine that stole your money is illegal. That's a law. Indiana, no one may catch a fish with his or her bare hands. <laughs> sure. Alabama, uh, bear wrestling matches are prohibited. You can look this up. This is an actual law in America right now. In Alaska, moose may not be viewed from an airplane. I'm sure there might be a logical reason for that one to scare them or, or, what's it, or displace them, but it's a law in Connecticut. It is illegal for a barber to hum a tune while he's cutting your hair. I wonder what went down to establish that law. In Georgia, no one may carry an ice cream cone in their back pocket if it's Sunday. Saturday's good, but if it's Sunday, no ice cream in the back pocket or the police are gonna come knocking. But it's a law and this is man's attempt. This is uh, Hawaii. Coins are not allowed to be placed in one's ears. I don't know. Idaho. Dirt may not be swept from one house into the street. Now, I actually, I really agree with this one. Uh, I'm not gonna say who, but one of my neighbor's gardeners uh, for a while there was blowing all of the leaves and all of the, uh, the, the leftover cut of the grass right into my, into my house. Three times I told him to stop doing it. Well, I, got, I, got, I took things under control and I blew it back one day. Anyway, probably not Christian of me, but I did. New York is illegal to congregate in public with two or more people while each wearing a mask or any face coverings which disguises your identity. <laughs> I hope they have taken that law down right now because uh, everyone's got a mask on. Um, Rhode Island, no, no person may bite off uh, another's limb. <laughs> That's a law. South Carolina, got only three more. South Carolina, a person must be 18 years old to play a pinball machine. Oh, that's sad. Pinball machines, are, are they for kids? Or are they for grown-ups too? Texas, wire cutters cannot be carried in your pocket. And uh, Wisconsin, uh, a margarine may not be substituted for butter in restaurants unless it is required by the customer. And I've saved the best one for last, this is funny to me, is Vermont. Women must obtain written permission from their husbands to wear false teeth. Ah, <laughs> oh, hallelujah. <laughs> This is the law of man. Welcome to the law and the reasoning and the logic of man. And these laws getting put in place, I'm sure there was something that happened at some point in time. But the law of man does not define whether you are right and righteous before God. Uh, righteous meaning being right before God. Don't let the enemy deceive you into being right before man at the sake of being righteous before God. I'll say that one more. Don't let the enemy deceive you into being right before man at the sake of being righteous and made righteous by Jesus before God. Our need for his righteousness is because of his holiness. Our need for his righteousness is because of his holiness. You know God is unchanging. He's an unchanging God. And he is a holy God. And God knew that we were incapable ourselves of achieving righteousness. And so therefore Jesus died on a cross. 
defeated death and rose again victorious. And because of that victory, we now have righteousness in Christ when we accept him into our heart. Let me explain a little bit how about the holiness and, and how great God is. They say the observable universe is 93 billion, 16 million light years wide. 93 billion, 16 million light years wide. To travel one light year, if you were traveling on a spaceship at the astonishing speed of 36,000 miles, 373, 36,373 miles per hour, which is the current speed of the New Horizon spacecraft, it would take you to travel one light year, 20,000 years. And the universe is, the observable universe, is 93 billion, 16 million light years wide. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And, and God spoke all that into existence with just four words. Unbelievable. I have many people say, and they've said this a lot, that when I, got, when I get to heaven, uh, I've got lots of questions for God. Well, I've got a question for you, if that's your question. Here's my question. Do you think that you will, let alone be able to ask a question, actually stand in the presence of a God, the true God, that spoke four words and the universe came into existence? Let there be light. Unbelievable. God is omnipotent. God is the most powerful being in all existence, able to accomplish his will, though unwilling to do anything contrary to his nature. So here's a question then. I think this is an important one. And this comes up a lot. Why does God detest sin? Why does he detest it? You know, and, and I often, when I read scripture, it comes up, the Bible talks a lot about sin and how God detests it. And, and you know, the way I read that was, well, hey, I'm a sinner. I made mistakes. God therefore detests me. That was my interpretation. Until you dig a little deeper and get into scripture and understand it, I, I realize, though this might not sound uh, theologically correct, still understand and know there's no layers to God. God is God and he is. But understand that I wonder if behind God's detest of sin is the power of God's love for you. God detests sin because he knows what it does. It separates you from him. That's why he detests it. In fact, I would go even further. Listen to these fantastic scriptures. Uh, Romans uh, 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we think that we're perfect, that's not possible. Behinds, behinds God, anger at sin is God's love because God knows that you are at stake. Your eternal destiny with him is at stake. That's why he detests sin so much because he loves you so much and he wants to be in close connection and relationship with you. That's why he detests it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become righteous in God, of God, the righteousness of God. 
Man, again, this just shows how much God loves us. Here's another really important question. I hear this a lot as well. Some might say, well, why doesn't God just forgive sin and let everyone into heaven? Just, just forgive everyone and let everyone, let everyone in. What we don't realize what we're asking there is we're actually asking God to change his nature. We're asking God to not be holy. We're asking him to not be righteousness. We're asking him to not be all powerful, all knowing. We're asking him to be like us. That's what we're asking. He cannot not be holy. He is holiness. He is holiness personified. And, and when we say, just, just forgive everyone, just let everyone in. Why, why is it going to be like that? We're asking God to change his nature. And the Bible says that God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is a good God. God doesn't just hate sin because it separates us from him. He hates it because of what it does to us, the, the, the destruction of sin. He hates sin because it, it breaks down marriages. He hates sin because it destroys people's calling, their career and their purpose. He hates sin because it destroys families and, and relationships between kids and parents. He hates sin because he knows the danger and the impact of what sin does in our life. We live in a broken world and we often say, where's God? Now I wonder, and I don't want to speak on God's part, but I wonder if God looks at a broken world and says, here's Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is our hope. He is the one who can truly deliver us from the weight and the burden, the guilt and the shame, the condemnation that comes with sin. You don't get off the hook when you sin and live the party lifestyle. You get stuff, you get mess that follows you and comes with you. And Jesus died for us so that we could be free from that and live free indeed. Now we're all broken, we're all messed up. And I think because we're all broken and we're all messed up, this is what we do in our broken state is we try to put our issues into scripture instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to put scripture into our issues. We try to take our mess and put it on scripture. But you know what Jesus does? He puts truth in us. And the Bible says truth sets us free. And we believe, as we, uh, my, as in my last message, I believe that the word of God is absolute truth and it sets people free. So, that, and you know, I, I think this sometimes. I think the distance between, I don't know if that was God and I don't know how to tell if that was God is, is theology. The distance between I don't know if that was God and I don't know how to tell if that was God is theology. God's speaking to you. God wants to speak to you. And the distance between I don't know if it was God and I don't know how to tell if that was God is my theology. What do I mean by that? Get into scripture. Allow truth to set you free. Who is truth? Jesus, it says, he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him, but by him. He is the only way. There are many ways to Jesus, but only one way to God. God will use, many. the Holy Spirit will use anything to get you to Jesus. And Jesus will get you into heaven, in, into relationship with God. I believe that is our, our purpose and our destiny. The enemy wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy. But he's not blatantly obvious. Because if he was blatantly obvious and turned up in your bedroom with the horns, and actually as he turned up in your bedroom as, as a ripped Liam Hensworth, 
maybe that would deceive us. But if he turned up in our room and it was just obvious, I, I feel like if I saw the devil in my room, it would just motivate me like nothing. You know what? The enemy's not like that. He, he comes in like a thief in the night and he still kills and destroy. And little by little over time, with just the right amount of truth on a foundation of deception, he changes the definition of what sin is. He changes the definition of sin to a point where we get comfortable with it and we think it's okay. And we begin to believe that we get to define it or we allow other people to define it for us. I would, uh, the, the enemy would come in and he would change what it means to be righteous right before God, right before your creator. And we know that it's only because of Jesus that we can be right before God. We need his righteousness because of his holiness. He is a holy God. His nature doesn't change. I pray that this word gets into your heart today. I pray that we uh, take a step forward in this journey where we have a, keep believing in by faith and establishing that point. We're not just living by fact, but we're living by faith that the word of God is truth, that it's absolute and has, uh, it, it shall not return void. It's powerful. It will change my life. I believe the Holy Spirit reveals it. And I believe that there is stuff that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you, things that he wants to reveal to you about his nature and about Jesus. And that's what scripture is. Really, it's a love letter that points to Jesus and God's love for us. And I pray that we would all know that love. I pray that maybe there's people today and you did once know that love and now there's a disconnect between you and God. Well, God is a good, loving, gracious God. He wants to reconcile us through Christ back to himself. And I believe that if we accept Christ into our heart and say, we want you to be in control, like the song says, we, take, we say, Jesus, take the wheel. We take our hands off the steering wheel of our own life and we start handing things over to God and allowing God to deal with them his way, a, a way that will set us free. And we lay those things at the cross. The Bible says that Jesus died on a cross for our sin and it's our sin that separates us from God. Because we have fallen short, we've all fallen short, we've all messed up, we've made mistakes, we're all broken people. And when we accept Christ into our heart and we say, God, like I said, take the steering wheel of my life and we hand ourselves over and we repent for our sin, it's at that point we shall be saved. If that's you today, I'm gonna to pray a prayer right now. If you say, you know what, yeah, that's me. I need to get right with God. I'm gonna pray this prayer from my heart. Make these your words and don't say them just to me. Pray them authentically to God and know God will hear this prayer today. Altogether, dear God, I come to you right now and I ask for your forgiveness. All the times I've hurt you and all the times I've hurt others. Holy Spirit, help me and guide me to live each day for you. And so from my heart, with my mouth, I confess you as Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Fantastic. Well, we always celebrate when someone gives their heart to Christ at Exchange Church. And we're praying for people that they would know and see God the way that he is supposed to be seen through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you don't just have a moment with God, but you build a relationship with him. And that's what this is about. And there's a church family here called Exchange Church filled with all sorts of people, people right across the spectrum that are all on a journey just like you. 
to building a relationship with him. And we wanna help you in that journey. How do we do that? We have uh, fantastic community groups. I believe some of the best uh, quality people on the planet, people that know God, people that have journeyed with God, who have gone through stuff and have seen God turn a mess into a masterpiece. And so it's our heart that we get you connected to that. And if you email us at hello at exchangecc.com, we will respond to those emails and we will get you connected to some people. I want to tell you, uh, if you're listening to this as a regular viewer, people have been emailing all over the place. People, in fact, we're having dinner tonight with a new couple to church and there's, there's a bunch of new families that have joined Exchange. And so what we're doing here is working. People are listening. People are uh, hearing about how much God loves them. And so we want to thank you again for all your support and, and, and prayers and belief and what it is that God's doing. Other than that, don't forget to register to December 6 coming up, it's our next outdoor event. And we pray uh, that it's gonna be a time again together where we can just worship and something about when God's people come together in faith, something about when men rise up with a spirit of faith in their heart and lead in worship and vulnerability and transparency to God, God moves in those moments. And so we pray you have a fantastic week and we'll see you in church next Sunday.